Well, good morning. Welcome to First EC. Glad you're here to worship with us this morning. I'm only going to highlight uh, two of the announcements. One is I'm going to thank you for your generosity as I see that the total that we're um, providing for Lebanon Christian, Ca- Christian Ministry, Lebanon County, LCCM, <laughs> um, that, that total is, is increasing, and that's just what we know online. So thank you very much. That's going to be running through the end of September, so there's still time to, to give. Just go online, follow the directions there. And then also just want to remind you, of course, that tonight Ken Sears will be here, 6.30. He'll talk to us about his mission work in the Ukraine. He's got a program prepared, so I uh, invite you to come out. We've put the word out to several um, other churches in the denomination, but also in the area, and so we're hoping that there will be a, um, a fair number of people coming out to hear to hear Ken and, uh, and to hear what he can tell us ab- about, um, about Ukraine and about his work there. Is there anything else that others feel need to be shared with the group this morning? I did just think of something else. I, I got my first opportunity. Uh, there's a, in the children's Sunday school, they have something, a little program together that... Um, the, the children get a chance to uh, earn the opportunity to have, um, have a donut with the pastor. And this morning, we had our, our first person that we had got a chance to have donut with the pastor. I want to encourage the adult classes to come up with a program, too, because um, as was mentioned, this was a win-win for me. So, um, so no, I, I, I'm glad we had an opportunity to do that this morning, and uh, I look forward to some of the other children then getting a chance to to have a donut with, with me as well. Let's prepare ourselves for worship. Let's, let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you very much for giving us another day. We recognize that every day is a gift. We thank you for it. We, we rejoice in it. We thank you that we have an opportunity to have the freedom to just show up without any worry about um, persecution We come to you here this morning, we come together as a group of worshipers, as a group of believers, so that we can lift each other up, but so that we can lift up your name. We're here to worship you, Lord, and so we pray that everything that we sing, say, and do here this morning would be to your honor and to your glory, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. For our call to worship I'm using Psalm 92, where it says it's a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. So it seems like it's pretty appropriate. It says, it is good to praise the Lord. Is that right? Is it good to praise the Lord? Yes. All right, that's better. Is it, good, it is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name. These guys would appreciate that, right? We like to make music. It's good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. To the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp, for you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. I'll invite you to stand and let's sing for joy as we join the praise band. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. All your ways are good. All your ways are sure. I will trust in you alone. Higher than my sight, high above my life, I will trust in you alone. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. Whom you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you, yeah, I will follow you, yeah. 
Amen. Well, we'll take a few minutes now to, well, we'll take as much time as we need to lift up prayer. I, uh, yeah, we, have, we have one up front here, and while, while we're waiting for the mic to get there, um, obviously, the first on my list, um, because of the day that it is, we we'll pray for our country. Um, it's a, it's a day that we remember in a, in a sad way, but we'll, we'll pray for our country today. What do you have, Judy? I, I just want to praise God for those songs today. And do you remember that first song? We sang it at your ordination. The praise team did. I you did requested not. it. I will follow. Well, thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, have the, I have the order of worship. I have the bulletin in a frame on my wall. I, yeah. But um, no, I forgot that. Thank and you then, for reminding me. Um, I yeah. just I just want to praise God for music. It just does yeah. something to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, like the like that like that song says. I mean, we can't pick and choose. We're going to follow where wherever He wants to lead us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Anyone else? It's neat that you remembered that. <laughs> Thank you. A praise. Yes. Tomorrow will be Debbie's father's ninetieth birthday. 90th birthday, okay. Amy, yeah. Are we, oh, there we go. Um, from Zoom, appraises that Jim Rothline's interview went well, Excellent. and so he's in the next steps of um, before getting hired, so just praises their prayers that everything goes smoothly with that. So, um, that his job is his and he can step <laughs> forward into that new role. All right. um, and then also for my grandmother that she is still suffering with shingles and um, just prayers for her and for the family as they rally around her to try to take care of her in the nursing home. So. Okay, thank you. Okay, um, I've got a prayer for a, uh, there's a 10-year-old boy, uh, Colin Placeway, um, uh, parents, yeah, they just uh, learned uh, within the last uh, week or so here that uh, uh, that he's uh, has uh, lymphoma uh, stage four on that, and so he's not uh, not doing well and um, getting a little bit better. Uh, fortunately, they have some good prognosis as far as you know survivability of it, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, you know, very uh, quick and unexpected for them. Okay. I also want to remind us to, we're going to pray for, for Arville, um, pray for Thelma as well, and of course the family, but Arville, you, if you got the, the prayer chain um, message, we know that Arville is having, having trouble with, with his breathing and that Arville has been placed on hospice, so we're going to, to pray for him as well. Any other prayer requests? Okay, well, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer then. Well, Father, we know that you are very aware of our needs. But, Father, there are certain individuals and certain situations that we, we want to lift up to you today. We thank you for those things that were lifted as praises. We thank you for we thank you for music that you have our bodies wired in such a way that, that music just somehow touches us and it's a way for you to connect with us and, and allows us to connect with you in a very very real way. We pray, Lord, for those who need your healing touch and your 
arms of comfort. We pray for Arville. We ask that you would comfort him, be with him, help his breathing to, to not be labored. And I pray that you'll wrap your comforting arms around him and the rest of the family as they go through this. We pray for Amy's grandmother, and I pray that you will help her to be healed from those shingles, that she can return to, to life as she, as she knows it, as you have intended. We pray for this boy who has lymphoma. We pray that you can work with the doctors and specialists to, to help him and to... Uh, to allow him to, to live in a way that, uh, that he can enjoy. Father, I just pray for all of these, that, that through whatever they're going through, they, they know that you are there. They sense your presence. And know that they're going through this with you, that you're right there with them. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you have worked with Jim Rothline and his situation, we thank you that the interview went well. We pray that if this be your will, that you would just open the door, that he would be offered the job, he could take it, and just, just run with it. We pray that uh, the Deb's father, who is celebrating his 90th birthday, that he would enjoy this birthday and would just continue to enjoy each day and grow closer to you each day. And Father, we wrap up our prayer with a prayer for our country. Father, we know that our country is changing in so many ways. All of us have an answer. All we need to do is this or that. But Father, we pray that, that all of us would turn to you. Not just those of us who know you, but Father, I pray that we can find a way to, to witness to those who don't know you so that they will, and that they will know that they can turn to you and that you are the answer. You can guide us through all these problems that we have. Father, I pray, pray your blessing on this country. I pray that you will make yourself known. Give us strength to be able to witness the, to those who need to know you. Father, I also take this opportunity to thank you for your provision. We thank you. We know that all blessings come from you. And so, Father, I pray that the offering that we provide to you today, that you will accept it, you will bless it, and you will use it to further your kingdom and your church. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll ask you to stand and join in singing our first hymn, number 254.
Thank you. You may be seated. Well, this morning we're going to start a brand new series now that we're all back from vacations and we're back to school and back to work and kind of back to our normal routines. We're going to spend our time in the book of First John, and it'll take us right up into, right up into Advent. So um, be here every week so that you know what's, what's happening next. Um, it's going to be a letter. We're going to see that it's a letter to a church. And this, this series that we're going to be going through, I've called, it's, it's not easy being a church. You know that. Um, John knows that in, the, in this letter. He's addressing that fact. Um, so many people today, you'll hear, you'll hear people talk about how we, we need to be a first century church. And I, and I get what they mean. I understand they're thinking about all the positive things about a first century church all the excitement and the joy of the new hope that they felt, this brand new idea that was being brought to them, and, and the fact that there was some glorious hope out in the future for them rather than just a, a life of, of oppression, and then it was done, and, and there was no, no future to it, no joy, no hope. But they were hearing something different now. And so as a church, this was brand new to them. They were excited about it. They looked forward each week to coming together and to hearing about it and to tell each other about it. And so when they got together for church, it was an exciting time. I think we need to get back to that. But unfortunately, the first century church also had its problems. And that's what John's addressing here this morning. We need to be careful because there's things about the first century church that we wouldn't want to have happen. But unfortunately, we see. These are the things that John writes about in his letter. There were what he referred to or what we would, would refer to as secessionists. There were people who were leaving the church. Don't know whether the, the, the novelty wore off. They no longer were excited about hearing what they were hearing. But for whatever reason, there were people leaving the church and going back to the synagogue or going back to the, to the cult practice of worshiping the, the leader, the Caesar, or whoever was in charge at the time. They were leaving the church for some reason. And then there was even worse, those people were leaving, but then they were trying to convince other people to come back to their church or back to their synagogue. Come on back to the synagogue. We've got a great youth group. Or come on back, you should come back to you should come to our church because we've got we should come to the synagogue because we've got three flavors of creamer that you can put in your coffee before the service gets started. You know, there was all sorts of things that they were thinking of, ways to, to try and get you out of the out of the church for some reason. There were also the Gnostics. There was a philosophy going on at the time, a way of thinking, this Gnosticism at that time was, was something where these people were talking about how there's a difference between the material and the, and the spiritual. Sacred and secular, and we still tend to do that, but everything, everything is holy. But they were separating the two, and, and later on we'll get into why that's, why that's a problem. But they saw, they saw the material as bad and ugly and nasty and evil and spiritual as pure and good and wonderful. He also was running into the problem of false teachers. There were people coming into the church now trying to tell them something completely different than what he had been teaching, and of course that meant what Jesus had been teaching. That's not a thing that's different from today as well. In fact, I just found something from September 5th, or it's a, it's a reference to a Twitter thread that was posted by Franklin Graham on September 5th, where he was responding to, to an, a report, an American Worldview Inventory report for 2022. This is very, very current. And it was a report that was put together after taking the data from pastors who were surveyed by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. It says that the survey found that only one out of every three Christian pastors 
polled in the United States possessed a biblical worldview. Now, that's kind of subject. I mean, that's, that's very general. But they get into some facts then. And this is where Franklin Graham jumps in. He says, I don't know which 1,000 pastors this group surveyed, but the results are concerning. 39% of, quote, evangelical pastors they asked said there is no absolute moral truth and that each individual must determine their own truth. What a lie, Graham said. Graham blasted the one-third of surveyed evangelical pastors who believe that people who do enough good things for others will earn a place in heaven. And he labeled them false teachers, well, because that's what they are. There was other things that were concerning. The survey also said 30% of evangelical pastors do not believe that their salvation is based on having confessed their sins and accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. This kind of false teaching is what is leading people and churches astray, Graham said. Another result from the survey showed 30% of the evangelical pastors polled believe that reincarnation is a real possibility. And 60% said they believe that a person's success in life is determined by their obedience to God. That's the prosperity gospel. That's not what was promised. There's lots of other things that were concerning. But we still have false teachers today. So we need to be careful. And John's going to tell us. He's going to address that. And, and down the road, as we get farther into the book, he's going to tell us how to, how to try to determine whether they're a false teacher or not. One of the worst things that's happening in all of this, as if that's not bad enough, then some of these people who had left the church were also trying to convince the people who are still in the church that John didn't know what he's talking about. They're challenging John's authority. Now, at this point, John is about 85 years old. He's the last of all of the apostles. The other apostles have all died a, a martyr's death, but John is the last apostle standing. And he hears these people, and I'm putting words in their mouths, but he hears these people probably saying something like, why do you want to stay in that church? That old crazy coot is telling you all kinds of things that aren't correct. Well, John, like I said, writes this letter and decides he, he needs to address all of these issues. He sees a church that's divided. He sees new Christians who haven't changed the way they live. That's also happening. Sloppy Christianity. They say they're Christians, but they haven't done anything different about their lifestyle. And he hears the challenges about his authority. So he writes this letter. This is the first of three letters. We're only going to deal with 1 John. And our message today is entitled, Walking in the Light. So let's open up the envelope. Let's take out John's letter and hear his message as we walk through it verse by verse. 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. He writes, that which was from the beginning, and we'll stop right there, because you can tell he, he's writing this. There, there are some who, who aren't sure if this is the same John as the Apostle John who wrote the letter, but this is the type of thing that helps us to be convinced that this is the, this is the Apostle John. This is John the Elder, because if you notice, it sounds so much like the way he started his gospel, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning. Also sounds like the way Genesis starts, right? In the beginning, God. And so he says that which was from the beginning. He's letting them know that the Jesus that we're talking about isn't a Jesus that just showed up on Christmas morning. He was here. He existed from the beginning of time. And not just, not just the beginning as in creation, but he's there from the beginning. As long as God has existed, Jesus has existed. He's making sure that everybody knows that. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. He's saying, I'm an eyewitness. I saw Jesus. I heard Jesus. He starts to, to just you know, um, bring in all the, all the ways that you can know somebody, all the senses. 
I've seen him. I've seen him with my own eyes, and I've, and I've heard him. I'm, I'm an eyewitness. I'm an, I'm an ear witness. But then he also says, which our hands have touched. And that's important because what he's doing here is refuting some of the claims of some of these heretics who, especially the Gnostics, as I was, as I was mentioning, who want to say that Jesus wasn't real. They talk about this, this separation and how material is bad, it's ugly, it's messy, it's evil, and spiritual is good and pure and so forth. We, we know that we, we're a spiritual person, that the person that we are is spiritual, and we're carried around in this vehicle of a, of a, of a material body. But what they were trying to say then was, well, he can't be God and be pure and good if he's in some way connected with a body, with the, with the, uh, the material side and this ugly evil side. So what they were saying, there were some who were saying that Jesus was just an apparition, a vision, more than a ghost. I mean, just, just something that we saw. Maybe in our day we'd say a hologram, uh, a computer-generated kind of, of vision, but that he wasn't real. And so John is saying, absolutely not. That is not true. He's saying, we have touched. We have touched him. Remember, John's the one that laid his head on Jesus' shoulder the last time they got together for a meal. And he knows for sure that there was a body there when he leaned over, that Jesus is more than just a vision. So we've seen him with our eyes, we've heard him with our ears, we've, we've actually touched him with our hands and, and with our head. He says, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. He's not asking you to just consider his theory. He's proclaiming. He's saying, I am telling you, this is absolutely true. Not saying it might be, not saying, hey, give me a shot at trying to explain this to you. He's saying, I want you to listen. I'm proclaiming, proclaiming concerning the word of life. And so he's using that, that phrasing again that he used in his gospel. The life appeared. We have seen it. We testify to it. Now he's not just proclaiming now he's testifying i'm i'll be willing to go to court and tell people what i saw that's how much i am convinced of the reality of jesus's humanity we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life now there the, the the phrase eternal life he's referring to the divine life he's referring to jesus we proclaim to you, Jesus, we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. He's just reiterating again. It's important for us to, to know this, he's saying. We proclaim to you, again, using that strong language, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. Fellowship is a word that we use often, and many times we have a fellowship hall. Sometimes we'll have a fellowship dinner. You know, we, we like to be in fellowship with one another, but the kind of fellowship that we talk about there is, is kind of a, a, a fingertip-to-fingertip kind of fellowship. This word is koinonia, and I'm sure that's a word that, that has, has popped up. It became kind of a Christian buzzword in the last say 10 years or so, but it's good. It's a good, it's a good word to, to help us understand what kind of fellowship they were referring to. They're not talking about fingertip. They're talking about grasping, a, a, a partnership, a union. This is, this is fellowship of the tightest kind. This is knowing each other, caring about each other, wanting to be with each other, a tight, tight, kind of fellowship. He's saying, we want you also to have fellowship with us. He's saying, that's the kind of fellowship that they have as a church. And we want you to come back and be a part of this again. We want you to be a part of this fellowship. We need you in this tight grip as well. 
And it says, and our fellowship, it's not just with each other. He says our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This fellowship isn't just just a horizontal kind of fellowship. It includes a vertical aspect as well. There's a tight fellowship. They felt a tight, very close fellowship with, with God, with the Father, and also with Jesus Think about that, that tight fellowship he must have had, not just knowing Jesus the way we know Jesus, he knew Jesus the person as well. So he wants to include them in this fellowship. We write this to make our joy complete. There is joy, we feel the joy, but as you join and you continue to increase this tight fellowship. There's just so much more joy, he's saying. And so he, he opens his letter here by not only reiterating the words, the message that he gave at the beginning of his gospel, but he also talks about what has been heard and seen and touched. All the, all the sensory experiences that, that help to emphasize the reality of the humanity of Jesus, the physical reality of Jesus. Jesus was God in person. And there was perfect, still, even, even, even in that way, even with Jesus having a material body, there was still perfect fellowship between the Father and the Son. And John tells us that anybody who knows and trusts and loves Jesus is a part of that fellowship. And he considers it joy to share that knowledge with them and, and with us. And so then he starts to get into his first instruction or his first message, if you will. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. So now we've, we've proclaimed, we've testified, now he's declaring. This is very strong language, isn't it? He wants to make sure you understand that this is the way it is. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. There is absolutely no shred of impurity in God. He uses this, this analogy of light. God is light and there's no darkness. We could fill this room with spotlight after spotlight, we could position them all over the place. We could have this as bright, be brighter than we could stand, but there would still be somewhere that there would be a shadow. There would still be some, some bit of darkness in this, in this room. But from John's analogy here, if, if, if God were in, and we, God is here, but if God were here with this bright light, and, it was, and God filled this room with light, it would be so much light, so magnificent, so much magnificent light, there would not be any shadows anywhere. God is light. God is pure light. God is extreme light. There is no darkness in him at all. This is where we get into how we're living then. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And do not live out the truth. So as long as you're, as long as you're walking in that light, you're, you're in great shape. If you come over into that darkness and you start walking, we, you lose that fellowship, he says. Now I know many of us, many of us we sin. I think, I think most of us do, right? We all sin. <laughs> so we all take at least one step over in that darkness but later on, we're going to find out what's the difference between taking a step in it and actually walking. And walking requires the two feet, right? It's a fully engaged kind of, kind of activity. But if we claim that we have fellowship with him, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I'm, I'm a Christian all the way. But then, if we claim that and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and don't live out the truth. We know there's darkness in the world. 
today especially, we're reminded of darkness in the world. Whether you, whatever you believe, whether you believe any of the conspiracy theories and all that sort of thing, whatever happened on this day 21 years ago, there was evil. There was evil involved. There was darkness. We know that. And we don't even have to go looking for darkness. Darkness seems to find us as well. There's an example, one of the things that we've been sharing recently with a, with a couple of people, because it was just so shocking to us. It, it's shocking, but in a way it's not surprising. Um, anybody who might have been watching a college football game recently, and I think there's been more, more occurrences of this, but uh, a, a new commercial came out for, a, for an adult sitcom, supposed to be a comedy, but it's animated, so it's a cartoon so you know it's going to attract the, the children's eyes. But there's a new, new show coming out called Little Demon. It's being, play, being shown on FX, uh, actually FXX, they have an, another X now, but uh, the FX network, which is owned by Disney, and I know Mr. Walt would roll over in his grave, but this show is being put out as the idea of, of a young girl who is the Antichrist. And he, here's the way they describe it from their own, from their own uh, publicity. Thirteen years after being impregnated by Satan, a reluctant mother, Laura, and her Antichrist daughter, Chrissy, attempt to live an ordinary life in Delaware. Now remember, this is meant to be a comedy. This is supposed to be a comedy thing. So, you know, they, they have this idea of attempting to live an ordinary life in Delaware, but are qu- constantly thwarted by monstrous forces, including Satan, who yearns for custody of his daughter's soul. It sounds like it's another level beyond South Park. South Park was irreverent enough now we're going to something even, even worse. And they list all the people that, all the different voices and so forth, but the main voice, the voice of Laura, the mother, um, Aubrey Plaza, she's also the executive director, and she has a quote. She was quoted as saying, I love that we are normalizing paganism. I love that we are normalizing paganism. Laura is a pagan, she's a witch, she's jacked. And in today's vernacular, that's meant to be a positive thing. This is, this is what's out there. This is what's on TV for, meant to, it's targeted for adults, but you know, like I said, the fact that it's a cartoon, the fact that they put a commercial during a college football game, how many kids were sitting there watching the game with their dad, and there's this, this commercial. And I won't go into any kind of detail. And I also encourage you not to watch it. Stay out of the dark. I have, I have done poorly by even bringing it to your mind. Investigate it if you want, but then get rid of it. Don't even, don't even open the door. Don't even open the door for Satan. But I want you to know that this stuff is out there. You don't even have to go looking for darkness. It, it comes and finds us. Be careful. Be careful. We don't want to walk in the darkness or we lose our fellowship with God. We, we lie and we don't live out the truth, it says. Moving on to verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And then there's even a more benefit. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And we just sang about that. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So it goes on and says, if, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Here again, he's refuting the Gnostics. This idea about material and spiritual. He's, these people were saying, well, I am the spirit. I am the spiritual being and I'm walking around in this material body, but me, I, I am the spirit. And I can't really control what my body does. So if the body does something, that's not my fault. I didn't sin. I mean, this is what they were saying. This is the kind of stuff they were feeding people. 
and, and trying to rationalize. This whole idea of Gnosticism, it's from the Greek word gnosis, is about knowledge. They felt that they could be saved if they had enough knowledge. This is their knowledge. This is what they think they know. The whole idea they're trying to explain some really logical way that, that you can sin and not sin. My body did it. It's not my fault. I'm the spirit, and I can't really control what the body's doing. And he's, John is refuting that. If we claim to be without sin, those people who are saying they don't sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I do have a, a cute little story Cute in a way, but think about how it applies to us as adults. This is from Dallas Willard. He has a book called Renovation of the Heart. And, and Ginny can tell you a story. I was sharing with her just how, just how frustrating it was to find this. That's not important. But finally found the story. And he tells about a two-and-a-half-year-old two girl named Larissa. She was enjoying water in the backyard with Nana. And Nana gently counseled her to water the purple flowers. But little Larissa had just discovered mud by pouring water on a small patch of dirt. And Nana told her not to put water on the dirt because it makes mud, and mud will get everything dirty. Well, mud it was anyway. And the little girl even put the mud into a small tub of water nearby, calling it then warm chocolate. (laughs) Nana who had been reading Facing Away from the Action, soon discovered the mess, cleaned it up, then returned to her reading, but now seated. She changed her seat so she could be facing Larissa. But the little girl soon resumed resumed her warm chocolate routine, but said sweetly, Don't look at me, Nana, okay? (laughs) And Nana, of course, agreed and looked down at her reading. Then Larissa would make black mud and put some of it in the tub, and then some more. Three times, she said, as she continued with her work, don't look at me, Nana, okay? The tender soul, he says, the tender soul of a little child shows us how necessary it is to us that we be unobserved in our wrong. The adult soul carries the same burden. We can go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam, when he heard God walking through the garden, he hid, right? Don't look at me, God, okay? How many times do we do that? I'm going to do something, but maybe God won't see it. Or maybe we, don't look at me, God, okay? Or we did something wrong, and then we feel judged. Don't look at me, God, okay? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, so what are we going to do? We've, we've taken a step over into that darkness. What are we going to do? Well, he tells us. He tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So there's a difference between stepping into the darkness and walking in the darkness. The difference is the confession we step in the darkness, the Holy Spirit convicts us. We recognize that and we say, yes, Lord, you're absolutely right. I did something wrong. I, I am so sorry for that, and I'm never going to do it again. And we mean it. <laughs> that's, what, that's true confession. And so we get back over into the light. So those people who do something wrong know they're doing it wrong and continue to do it and continue to live in sin, continue to walk in the darkness that are losing that fellowship. But you still have the opportunity. He's waiting. God is waiting for that confession. Please, he's, he's there just saying, please recognize, listen to the Holy Spirit, confess, and you're right over in the light again, walking in the light. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. Him is God. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. How would we be making God a liar? Well, because God said we're sinners, and we need a Savior. And so he sent Jesus. 
He sent Jesus to be our Savior. And so if you're going to say that, well, I don't sin, I don't need a Savior, that's how you're calling God a liar. It's okay, God, I got this. I don't really need Jesus. You're calling him a liar. You're wrong, in fact. If we claim we haven't sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. That's where we're going to stop this morning for this part of his letter. But just remember that when we do something wrong and we continue to live in a way that's wrong, usually it's, we find some way to rationalize it, we find some way to justify it. Yes, I know this is wrong, but I'm doing it for this reason. You know, it, it makes sense to do this or that. I have to do this. Or the devil made me do it. Nope, nope, he's not that powerful. You're giving him too much credit. He'll make it look wonderful, but he can't make you do it. You're the one that makes that decision. And so when we, we do something wrong like that and we rationalize and so forth, we're walking in the darkness. We're losing, losing that wonderful fellowship. We're losing that tight bond. We're, we're increasingly pulling away. As Christians, we know that we're not sinless but if we walk in the light and remain in that fellowship with God we will sin less see what I did there and that's the way because we have transformed he has transformed our lives we are living a different kind of life we want to walk in the light and the closer we are to God and the more we walk in the light we're going to recognize that darkness much quicker the Holy Spirit's going to talk to us right away whoa don't even think about that. Unfortunately, we're seeing so many profiled pastors. We just had one recently. He probably didn't think he was doing much wrong, but who knows what the first text was, but then all of a sudden it was found, that, or he even admitted that he was texting inappropriate things to a woman in the congregation. We don't know what they were. It doesn't matter. How did he get there? You know, he... You step in the darkness, you got to know it. The Holy Spirit's going to tell you. But you say, don't look at me, God, okay? I'm just going to do it one more time. Don't look at me, God, okay? we got to say, God, look at me. Holy Spirit, talk to me. I want to walk in the light. So there is something to be said for the first century church. I talked about that at the beginning. They were excited, they were overjoyed about the shocking news of just who Jesus was and what he did and what he promised. And I think there needs to be a revival again in the American church. We need to have that excitement and joy again. We need to be reminded that Jesus, who was born as a human, shows that God embraces our physical humanity. And on the cross, the human Jesus, who suffered pain, he suffered shame, he did that to take the punishment that's due each one of us. And especially we need to remember that because of his resurrection, we have the assurance of transformed bodies one day, living in perfect, eternal fellowship, koinonia, with God. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the truth that we find in it. We thank you that you, you have led your faithful followers to write, to write letters of instruction that applied not only to Christians and to churches in their day, but that have so much application in our lives today. Father, help us as we go through this book to hear your word through the pen written by John Help us to recognize how these things apply to us. We know it's not easy being a church. We've had our problems. Every church does. But help us to fix those problems quickly. Help us to recognize that you're the one that brings them to light and you're the one that's going to take care of them. Help us, Lord, as individuals and as a church, to continue to walk in the light so that we have fellowship with each other and with you. I pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'll encourage you to stand and...
join with me in singing our final hymn, number 513, Sing the Wondrous Love of Jesus. And so, as you go from here today, may the Lord bless you and protect you as you continue to strive to walk in the light. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.